good evening, everybody. It's good to see you here uh, for Clinton's induction. Uh, let's ask God to help us as we come to his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we pray now in your mercy through the work of your spirit. Uh, you would help me to speak uh, your word truthfully and clearly and you would grant us all to know its encouragement and instruction so that we'll persevere in trusting and serving the Lord Jesus and be equipped for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, Clinton, many of us are very thankful to our God to be able to welcome you into our congregation this evening and particularly uh, to welcome you into the pastoral team. Uh, we look forward to working together with you in the work of the gospel and also to being the recipients and beneficiaries of your ministry. As you are tonight authorised by the Presbytery to commence ministry amongst us, I want to speak uh, firstly to you about how you can serve us here and then I want to talk to the congregation about how we can gain the most benefit from Clinton's ministry amongst us. Uh, so, Clinton... Uh, serve us by being the person and doing the work God has called and commanded you to be and do. And as you have solemnly promised uh, tonight, serve us by being the person and doing the work God has called and commanded you to be and do. And as you uh, commit yourself uh, to that, let me highlight three aspects of your call uh, from 2 Timothy. Uh, firstly, uh, knowing the benefits of the scripture, keep meditating on the scripture yourself. Having outlined uh, the example of his own ministry, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in uh, chapter 3, verse 14, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is got breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Unlike the false teachers he mentions in verse 13, those evil men and impostors who have no stability in life or doctrine, who go on from bad to worse, always trying to make a name and following for themselves by having the latest, whether it's of morality or doctrine, and so seeking deeper into the quagmire of their own error, Timothy is told to stay put. He's told to continue to remain in what he has learnt and firmly believed. And that is the gospel. The gospel that was entrusted to Paul called to be Christ's apostle. The gospel which brings light and immortality to light through telling us of Jesus' death for sin and his victory over death in his resurrection. The gospel uh, which uh, Timothy is actually called upon, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, to transmit faithfully to others that public message he's heard from Paul and which he is now to share. And in chapter 3, Paul gives Timothy two reasons to abide, to stay put in that gospel, and both relate to its origin. Uh, he says, remain in that gospel. 
continue in what you have learnt and firmly believed, firstly knowing from whom you have learnt it. And the whom there is plural. So it includes Paul, who has just related his life and doctrine. But it also includes Lois, his grandmother, and Eunice, his mother. Timothy should abide in that message because these are people he knew well and whose lives he has not only learnt the truth of the gospel, but in whose lives he's seen the reality of what was preached, tested and proved. He knows it to be true from the testimony of their lives. And secondly, he says you should abide in this message because from infancy you know that this gospel of Jesus has been taught in the sacred writings, the scriptures, our Old Testament. The message he's to remain in, says Paul, comes with the authority of God because it's found in God's word, the scripture which is God-breathed, written words which come from the mouth of God. And so as Paul is entrusting this ministry uh, to Timothy and as God is entrusting this ministry now to you, Clinton, remain in that word because there are two outcomes of its study. Firstly, it will make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. The scriptures will teach you to have faith in Jesus as he is, the Christ, the Messiah, and the scriptures will teach you about the Jesus you have faith in, teach you of his greatness, reveal him as the promised son of David, the servant of Isaiah who redeems his people by his suffering, the glorious son of man to whom eternal dominion is entrusted. And the scriptures will give you understanding of the salvation the glorious Lord Jesus brings in its fullness and finality. Abide in this word because believing its message about Jesus saves you. And secondly, abide in this word because it will make you competent and equip you completely for every good work. It will make you capable, proficient, equipped for the task that God has entrusted to you. Now Clinton, all this I know you know and are committed to. But as you come to commence ministry amongst us, let me encourage you to persevere in that commitment, that commitment to study God's word, to meditate on it, to experience for yourself its teaching, rebuke, correction and training. Because this is the means God has given you to persevere, not just in your ministry, but to persevere in the Christian life to salvation. And this is the means God has given you to equip you for this work that he has called you to. To equip you to be able to meet the demands of working amongst us as a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus. So service by keeping on meditating on scripture and come to teach us having been taught by God himself from his word. Secondly, Convicted of the power of God's word, experiencing it yourself and knowing to whom you are accountable. Preach and teach this word diligently. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Uh, Paul uh, calls God and the Lord Jesus Christ to witness the responsibility entrusted to Timothy, the responsibility which is entrusted to everyone called to the teaching ministry. And he reminds in calling uh, Jesus to be witness, he reminds Timothy and us that the Lord Jesus is the judge who will appear and bring his glorious reign. And so as you commence your work amongst us, that's good to know, isn't it? That you have a Lord and you are accountable to him for your service. Oh yes, and others have a Lord to whom, they'll account, uh, to whom they're accountable, before whom they will one day stand. And they need to hear this gospel word. There is a seriousness to Christian life and ministry. Every day we need to serve conscious of that accountability, an accountability that extends beyond this life, extends beyond your hearers, extends beyond the presbytery, an accountability to the king who tests our hearts and who loves his people. And so that accountability, let that consciousness of accountability be both a source and encouragement to diligence but also a source of freedom to you to preach the word that pleases Jesus, not the word that pleases men or women. Well, with God and Christ Jesus as witness, Paul delivers this charge to Timothy, the charge to you and to all pastors. Preach the word, he says. Declare publicly the gospel the gospel heard from Paul, the gospel learned from the Old Testament, for us the word of the scriptures fulfilled in Jesus declared publicly that Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. Make it known. And do it, he says, in season and out of season. Be ready with that message, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, and that is whether it's convenient or inconvenient to you, or convenient or inconvenient to your hearers. They have to hear that word. And let's just pause and think about that. There is a sense in which you and every minister always has to be on standby, on call, ready to teach and preach. And such readiness can be challenging because, you know, we like to work to a schedule, to order our weeks and to be prepared. But the truth is our schedule should in large part be determined by need and opportunity. We are to always be ready. And if we speak from the abundance of our hearts and our hearts are full of love for Jesus and the conviction of the truth of the gospel, this is not an expectation that is burdensome. You don't need to prepare all that long to speak of the one you love. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, that's a call to protect the flock by confronting false teaching. And so tell us not only what the truth is, but also point out the errors. And yes, rebuke, call out our sin from the gospel. We all like to be liked. 
but our ministry is a ministry of the word and so should embody all that the word does. Teach, yes, but rebuke, correct and train. And when you rebuke, don't be subtle. Now, sometimes we like to be subtle, uh, but I've actually learnt the truth of what Scripture says. Sin makes people deaf and blind. So there's no need to be subtle. Hit them over the head with the sin word. Reuse the S word. Tell it as it is. It is sin, and if they persist in it, it will damn them. Rebuke and exhort and encourage. Hold before us the promises of the gospel, the goodness, the love, the victory of our Lord, and do it, he says, all with great patience, and that is really hard. We want people to get it the first time. They're the kind of people we praise. We want people to change the first time. But a good pastor has to be willing to tell us the same things over and over and over again because disciples of Jesus, all of us, are really babies. And like babies learning to walk, it takes time and often has a few falls. We need to be picked up and started and instructed all over again with great patience and instruction or teaching. When you show us our error, open the word. When you rebuke our sin, open the word. When you encourage us, open the word. Show us that you are saying what God is saying. Then we're actually convicted and encouraged by God. And then we know, we'll know the words work in our lives as the work of our kind God and we will grow in trust and thankfulness to him. You see, my word, your word, my opinion, your opinion, it has no guarantee to do good in the lives of God's people. But God's word through his spirit will do God's work. It will do his work in the lives of his people. It will never return to him empty. It will make us wise for salvation. It will keep us trusting Jesus and it will equip us to do the God, the good God wills for us. So Clinton, service by meditating on the scripture, service by knowing its power so that you preach and teach it diligently and with full conviction and do this thirdly perseveringly in the face of disinterest and opposition. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfil your ministry. Not everyone will want to listen to the word taught faithfully. And there's always a temptation, isn't there, to start to tell people what they want to hear, whether that's something that will support their politics or their comfortable lifestyle or what they would like to believe about God or about men and women or human sexuality. People won't want to hear. But don't be seduced. Don't be cowed by the opposition or the criticism. Be sober-minded. That is... Be clear-minded, he says, in everything, not befuddled by self-interest or fear or a desire to be liked. Keep your head and don't be panicked by rejection. 
I mean, I think some of us are panicked. We're like henny pennies, you know, thinking the sky's falling, the world's changing, people don't want to listen, the message is irrelevant, oh, we'll be faithful, but we just expect to be a marginalised and ignored enclave. Don't be panicked. Keep your head. The gospel you're called to preach is the power of God to save. He will save by the gospel. You know, you were never the saviour. He always was. You never had to win. He's won already. You just need to be faithful. And he will save as he always has his people by his word. Keep your head and keep preaching and teaching that word and endure hardship. Yes, there will be hardship for gospel ministers. It's actually a theme of Paul in 2 Timothy. He calls on Timothy to share in suffering. And in fact, as we heard, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, endure hardship, expect it. It is part of the task entrusted to us. Now, for us at the moment, it's not, not all that great, really. Occasional opposition. Oh, there's the kind of psychological hardship of having to deal with conflict, long hours, and grief. That's hard. Grief at what others whom you love have to endure. Or at the choices they make that you know that will harm them. Expect hardship. Don't be surprised by it. Don't grumble at it. Endure. Keeping on doing the work entrusted to you and drawing near to your Saviour for the comfort of his word. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, for Timothy, that may have meant the, uh, the continuation of Paul's kind of missionary role. But for us, I think, for most of us, it just means make the gospel clear. People must know. People must know Christ died for sin, that Christ lives and reigns at God's right hand and has all authority. People have to know that God has set a day in which he will judge them, judge their secrets. Oh, yes, and people have to know that they, like the prodigal, will be received with joy when they turn back to God. Make the gospel clear and never tire of urging a response, the response the gospel calls for, of repentance and faith. We are not sharing a philosophy. We're proclaiming a summons that demands a response to the living God. We serve the one who came to seek and save the lost. So never cease to desire people's salvation. And I hope you will always have joy in proclaiming the gospel because it is a joyous thing. It exalts your saviour, Jesus, as he is the saviour of the world. And it brings life and mercy and wholeness to all who trust him now and forever. Be sober-minded, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfil your service. You're entrusted with a task, discharge fully your responsibility, not distracted by worldly concerns, not sidetracked into unprofitable disputes, not deterred by opposition, not discouraged by those who don't want to hear. That is God's call to you. And as you do this, as you fulfil the ministry, 
Uh, like Paul, you will be able to say that you have run your race to the end so that at the end you can say, as he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Keep your eyes on that day when you will meet your Lord and give account to him. And if that makes you tremble as it does me, for all the times we failed to make the word clear, failed to do the work of an evangelist, failed to show confidence and conviction, well, remember, we look to the crown of your righteousness. Your confidence, my confidence, is in our Lord graciously justifying all those who have faith in him, the righteousness which is his gift for us. So Clinton's service by being the person and doing the work God has called and commanded you to be and do, by meditating on the scripture and knowing its work in your own life, by preaching and teaching it diligently, by persevering, no matter what the opposition or cost. Well, that was the word to Clinton. And now I have a word to you, my congregation. As Clinton gives himself to this work, and as hopefully Andy and I give ourselves to this work, always be people who welcome and support ministry which is persevering and diligent in faithfully teaching and preaching God's word, the scriptures. You go through 2 Timothy and you'll see various ways people respond to teaching. Oh, there are those who abandon the apostle when it becomes risky to be associated with him as he faces imperial displeasure. Don't be people who want to dissociate yourself from faithful teaching when it becomes politically incorrect incurs, incurs the displeasure of the influential and powerful in our world. Oh yes, and then in chapter 2 we meet those who want to quarrel about words. Irreverent babblers, Paul calls them, people with their pet theory, their preoccupation that they insist has prominence out of all proportion to its presence in scripture, all their speculations that they want to make agreement with the test of any ministry. Well, don't be like them. Be willing to be corrected by the proportions and emphasis of scripture faithfully taught. And remember, when Clinton comes and speaks to you, he's not coming in his own right. That's what this is about tonight. He is somebody who is being taught, trained, tested and affirmed by gospel preachers as somebody to listen to. Oh, and then in chapter 4, 3 to 4, as we see, we meet those who only want to hear what they're interested in, teaching that supports their desires. They're doing what they want to do, whether that's get wealthy or exclude people who are not like them from the congregation, people who get fed up with sound teaching that does what the scripture does, teaches, rebukes, corrects, trains. And let me say it is easy in an age of an internet, of the internet to accumulate teachers telling, what, telling you what you want to hear. But it's a disaster. It turns you, it says, from the truth. Turn away from, it turns you away from listening to the truth and, wanders, or, and, and causes you to wander off into myths. Whether that's empty tales about Israel's tribes going to South America or that, uh, you know, wish that there's no judgment or that God has changed his mind on sexual sin. 
That is a disaster, because myths are empty and can never make you wise for salvation or equip you to live the life of doing good that God wills for his people. Nothing but God's word does his work through his spirit in the lives of his people. Don't be like them, only wanting to hear what you want to hear. Always be people who welcome and support faithful gospel ministry. Be that kind of person because you know for yourself the goodness of the word. Believing what God says of his word, you have actually made its study your own passion and have found God working in your life through it. And so you're convinced that its truth saves you and its teaching equips you. And so you want faithful gospel ministry. Oh, and support and welcome faithful gospel ministry because you know the times, as you heard at the beginning of our reading, these are the last days. And that means the next things to happen is Jesus' return and your appearing before him. And because you know that that's the next thing, you want to be ready. You want to know, as you heard Paul say, and you know because it's the last days, as you heard Paul say, that there'll be many false teachers who have an appearance of godliness but deny its power, and knowing that, you don't want to be sucked in by them. So you want error exposed before it harms. You see, the truth taught faithfully and regularly is like having access to anti-venine before the snake bites you. So welcome and support faithful gospel ministry because it will keep you safe. And thirdly, welcome and support faithful gospel ministry because you know the future, that there will be a day when our Lord will appear, our glorious Lord, who is the righteous judge. You know the future and you know that the crown of righteousness is for each one of us who has loved Jesus, that is, who has longed for the appearing of Jesus on that day, longed for the return of Jesus, that the crown of righteousness is for each believer who in their heart prays, come Lord Jesus, who wants to see him revealed in glory and set all things to right. And that is every true believer, isn't that right? Every true believer longs for that day because every believer confesses that the crucified Jesus is Lord and the rule of the universe is rightfully his and should be acknowledged by all. Every true believer knows from the gospel how good Jesus is, how good it is that he reigns and every believer knows in believing that Christ died for their sins that they're loved by Jesus and they love him and they want to see him. For every believer. There is that crown of righteousness and you know it is faithful teaching that will strengthen that hope and encourage us to live for that day. In fact you can be almost certain that the first thing to fall away in every form of liberalism is a conviction of the personal return of Jesus and a longing for that day. Brothers and sisters, as you are now, for your own good and the good of your children and the good of your neighbours. Always be people who welcome and support ministry that is persevering and diligent in faithfully teaching and preaching God's word. Because 
pastor and people, we are in it together. Rarely will a minister do better than his congregation. If you're apathetic and worldly, well, it'll be hard for his ministry to get any energy or momentum. And rarely, in fact, I think never, will a congregation do better than its ministers. Where they say, cease to teach the truth, your faith will be white-anted and your growth in Jesus will be stunted. So we are in it together. Encourage Clinton by listening to him as he teaches you faithfully the word of God. Pray for Clinton, for all of us who teach, but especially for Clinton, that he'll delight in his own study of the word, that he'll be faithful and bold in its teaching in public and private, and that he will be sustained in energy and diligence and his whole family kept safe and in peace so he can focus on this work. Pray for him. And yes, continue to support it generously as you do. Pray for Clinton and pray for yourselves that you'll receive the teaching of the truth gladly, even when it confronts your sin, that you will know for yourself its work, that as you receive the words, you'll know yourself to be those saved by faith in the Jesus we meet in his word. And you'll know yourselves equipped by God to do his good will, confident in his equipping to do that good will. Pray for Clinton, pray for yourselves, and together let's keep listening to Jesus and be the salt and light in our world the Lord Jesus wants his people to be. And together, as we encourage each other in the truth of the word, let us come with joy into the presence of our Lord Jesus on the day he returns. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithful people who have transmitted it to us, whether that's our parents or pastors or youth workers. We thank you for all who have taught us the word. And we thank you for opening our eyes to see our glorious Saviour in its pages as he comes to us in this word. Our gracious Father, we pray that you would sustain Clinton in preaching and teaching it faithfully as he has committed himself to do. And gracious Father, we pray for that great mercy that will move us always to listen to your word to heed what you say and so be transformed by your spirit to live the life that pleases you, to live the life of your sons and daughters to your honour and glory. Amen.